So glad to see you. If you have your copy of God's Word, Proverbs chapter 3 uh, today, uh, Be Rich, our last ride and Be Rich. Uh, we're preparing for our, our Christmas series that begins next Sunday, Hope for Everyone. Uh, we're excited about that. Uh, the best thing I can, I can encourage you to do is, because you, know, you saw what Gracie said a little bit earlier in the, the video, um, we love to think of the holidays like this like super exciting time where everybody's happy and everybody loves each other and everything. And then you remember that just two years ago you were stuck in a home with your family uh, for, for you know, weeks or months at a time. And you realize we may not always like each other. Okay, um, Holidays aren't always the happy-go-lucky thing that the, uh, the Target commercials want you, want you to, uh, uh, to, to remember. And so um, as we come this, this year and, and come through the holidays and experience the holidays together, uh, just be mindful of those around you, those that you know that God has put you in community with, uh, that you might be encouraging. Maybe it's someone that's lost a, a spouse or a loved one uh, who's just struggling a little bit this year, maybe even dealing with a little bit of depression because life hasn't gone their way or whatever it looks like. That's a very real thing. And so part of the thing that that we do as the church of Jesus Christ, which separates us from the unbelieving world as we are tied in the bonds of Christ. And so we should be looking, if we're going to be rich and, and, and bestow generosity and be philanthropic in what we do because we're gospel-centered people, um, we should, if we're going to do that with an unbelieving world, how much more so would we want to do it with people that are family to us? I think sometimes we can get so, so ministry focused that we can sometimes forget what's going on inside the family. And there's a balance there. And so I would encourage you, if there's someone that you look around and you see hasn't been here for a few weeks, uh, and, and you know, maybe they're not going to another church, maybe they're, they're just not going anywhere, and you can encourage them. Sometimes all it takes is just someone offering an invite and saying, look, there's a seat that's open next to me. Why don't you just come sit with us? Just come, come one, one Sunday, I'm, I promise you. Uh, it will be worth the time that it takes for you to ask. All right, uh, so as we talk about this greater story uh, today, this, this idea, and, and the, the, the entire Gospel of Matthew is all, about that, is all about this idea that God is creating a kingdom. That was, um, it, it, and if you read the four Gospels, you will read a, a different, it's the same story, but it would be no different than if I were to tell the story of something I've eyewitnessed, and Matt were to tell the story of something he's eyewitnessed, and Craig were to tell the story of something they've eyewitnessed, and maybe Becky were to tell the story of something she's She's witnessed, and, and so we've all seen and, and said this. We're all different people, and so we're all going to clue in on different things, and so th different things that are said, different things that are done, and so what you're going to find is uh, that, that each of the gospel writers are going to key in on something different. For Luke, it's going to be on the details. He was a doctor, and so uh, he did eyewitness reports of things that happened, and then he chronicled um, a bunch of them and wrote them all down, right? John focused on Jesus's humanity and how how, how Jesus you know, was God who put skin on and came into. The word became flesh and dwelled among us, right? Uh, Matthew, when in his, as he wrote his gospel, he wrote it <coughs> filtered through the lens that Jesus was building this kingdom. And so when Jesus would speak about a kingdom that he was building, he would talk about the story that God started writing at creation and that worked its way through and uh, through the person of Jesus and the kingdom that was to come as well. And so this idea that God uh, has, has written and is writing a narrative 
uh, that we figure into, because we're a part of the kingdom of God, that our story that God is writing individually in us is a part of the greater story that he is writing in his kingdom that he is building. And so, so Solomon is going to, is going to write um, in Proverbs, and, and look, Pro, uh, Solomon was a songwriter, okay? He, maybe not quite like David, but, but he spoke in songs. Um, uh, Solomon wrote, and actually 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 32, uh, you see that, that, day, or that, uh, that Solomon wrote uh, 3,000 proverbs, so these wise sayings, things that you might find on, on like a tea towel that you, uh, that you put, or that, that's hanging up in a little Etsy thing that you bought that you hang in your bathroom, right? Um, you know, he, he wrote in those like little snippets, things that are just kind of like wise sayings, given that he was the wisest man on earth. But he also wrote over a thousand songs. Did you know that? And each one was designed to bring glory to God, but also to, to um, impart some of the wisdom that he had collected from the Lord over time to his people. One of the things that he would do is he would write to his family. Proverbs chapter 3, and look, if you grew up in church, you get it, right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight, right? Uh, if you grew up going to VBS or in Bible drill, you've you memorized that. You know, you know that. Maybe you didn't grow up in church, so you don't know those things. But that's a very famous passage, but very uh, rarely do you ever see the entire passage expounded on. And so Solomon is going to, is, is writing to, and he's going to refer to the recipient of this particular proverb as his son. He's going to say, my son. And he's going to write, now, now Solomon that we know of had one son and two daughters. Okay, and the son's name, I'll give you a little bit of background just so you can kind of process. Um, the, 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 um, Solomon's son, his name was Rehoboam. All right, now you may know Rehoboam, and who was also, there was also a guy whose name is similar, uh, whose name was Jeroboam. Uh, and, and so Rehoboam uh, would uh, be the, the one to ascend to the throne after Solomon's death. And so uh, uh, Rehoboam would reign, uh, and then during Rehoboam's reign, because um, scriptures say that, that, uh, that Solomon had turned away from the Lord, and part of the consequence of Solomon turning away from the Lord is that, that, um, that in the reign of Solomon's son, that the, the united kingdom of Israel would split. And so at some point, Jeroboam, who was a consort to the king, uh, no relation to the family, would rise up. Jeroboam and Rehoboam, you think, are, are family, but then you remember it's the Old Testament and like, like names are very similar. Um, so Jeroboam would rise up with 10 of the tribes of Israel and they would, uh, because uh, Rehoboam wasn't exactly a great guy, didn't exactly uh, love the Lord, follow the Lord. And so Jeroboam would rise up with 10 of the, uh, of the tribes and would break off from the United Kingdom. And so you had a, a, a northern uh, kingdom of Israel you had, that was 10 tribes. You had a southern kingdom of Judah, which was uh, reigned uh, or was um, uh, ruled by Jeroboam. Uh, and, uh, and that was the tribes of Judah and of Benjamin. Okay, now I'm telling you all this because as we read, you're going to hear Solomon giving advice 
to who he deems to be a son. And commentators are split on who the son actually is. Is it someone he just considered a son, but or was it someone, or was it actually a, a Rehoboam who was going to be taking over one day? But mind you, the reason that I give you all of that church history, uh, number one, I love it, and so I like to when I get a chance to impart it, I like to. Uh, but also because when we look at Solomon, the wisest man on earth, all right, who still made mistakes. When you see him giving good advice, and all the parents in the room can say amen to this, sometimes you give your kids good advice and they just don't listen. Uh, Okay, that didn't need an amen, but you're right, okay. All right, fine. As we look at this together, church, we're going to have to allow ourselves to be a little bit introspective as we look at... The story that God's writing in us, the good and the bad, all right? Because God can take the dumb stuff that you've done and glorify himself. Did you know that? All right, God can take the dumb stuff that you've done and glorify himself. It's everything that you've experienced is a part of the story that God has already written for your life and can be a part of the story and will be a part of the story that God is, that is writing uh, until the moment you see him face to face. So the big idea as we jump into that today is that as believers, we, we trust. That's a big thing. And it's easy for us to amen, throw our hands up in the air. Lord, I trust you. Uh, and that's easy when things are good. It's when the things get a, little, get a little sideways that we struggle in this aspect, don't we? But as believers, we believe that God is sovereign, okay? And we trust that the story that God is writing in our lives, if we will share it, can have a greater impact on others than it even did on on, on ourselves, right? The story that God's writing in our lives can have a greater impact to others who may hear it. My parents watch this live stream most every Sunday. They, they, uh, They attend my home church, but then they go home and they have lunch and they watch their baby boy preach. I don't blame them. And so... um, and so they have learned over the years. One of the, one of the worst things and, and one of the best and worst things that happened in COVID uh, was that, that all of these churches started going fully online. The bad thing is my parents hear sermon illustrations about the dumb stuff that I've done in my life that they didn't know about. Okay, and so they're learning all kinds of new things. Now, so as we, you may hear some stuff uh, in, in this sermon and the next. Just remember, mama has to watch this, so it has to be, has, you have to be, you, you be judicious a little bit, okay? Um, let's read Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to read the whole passage. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through 12 uh, together, and then we're going to unpack a little bit about what the story that God's writing, the part that it plays in how we display Christ to others. Solomon says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. All right, let's stop there. If this is Rehoboam that he's writing to, and you don't say my son Rehoboam, all right? But if this is Rehoboam that that Solomon's writing to, he didn't listen. He walked out on his own. But but Solomon says, says, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. He says, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Underline that, that's so good. Be not wise in your own eyes. I have done my fair share of dumb stuff that I'm not going to chronicle on Facebook Live today, okay? Because right, a lot of it mama doesn't know about. All right? But I have done a lot of stuff that at the time seems like a great idea. It seems like it could help the world. It seems like it might make me rich. And I go, this is going to work just fine. And it's the, it's the Clay County equivalent of, hey, y'all, watch this, okay? <laughs> Solomon says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil, and it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Who needs healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones today? He says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine or grape juice, right? <laughs> My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be, wary, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. For the believer in Jesus, submission to the lordship of Christ is a natural part of the Lord writing the story of our lives. Church, let's, let's begin with a non-starter. We cannot consider ourselves a part of Christ if we do not willingly submit to him. How? In three areas. One, we have to submit our heart. Look at verse 3. He says, he says uh, bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Solomon had heard this before. When the Lord gave the Israelites the Mosaic Law, he, he wanted to tie together a couple ideas. The idea of, of loving the Lord and displaying that love by, by the reading and the assimilating of his words, of the law, into their lives. And right. in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, one of the, the next-gen passages that the, that the, the modern church kind of leans on is a prayer. And that prayer is called the Shema. All right. The Shema literally in Hebrew means to hear. All right. And so, um, so Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 9 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of, of your house and on your gates. To love the Lord rightly means that we have to submit our hearts to him in what we call lordship salvation. Now, there's a difference in, in, in what the modern church looks at as salvation and then lordship salvation. Modern churches tend to try to simplify the idea of salvation into, well, you know, if you just come forward and during an invitation and you pray this prayer, uh, even if you don't mean it, I mean, we don't say that, but even if you don't mean it, then, then, then you're, you're going to be saved, right? It, 
I mean, how many of us, if I were to ask you to be honest today, would raise your hand and say, you know what, I, you know, the first time that I prayed to trust Jesus as Savior, it was more for fire insurance than anything else. I mean, I did that. It wasn't until later that I began to understand that salvation is not about words you say. It's about the posture of your heart. That you willingly submit, you lay down all of the things that you want, your wants, your hopes, your desires, your dreams, your plans, and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Forgive me of my sin, the dumb stuff that I've done. Lord, all that I want is just to, to, uh, to give you the very best that I have, which isn't much, and then let you do with it whatever you want. That's lordship salvation. When you willingly just lay it all down for the glory of Christ. The process of discipleship for the, for the Christian. I, I think we've kind of created this mindset that, that the process of discipleship, that when you trust Jesus as Savior, we've, we've kind of lied to people and we've told them, man, everything's just going to be hunky-dory. You know, just trust Jesus today and, and life's going to be a bowl of cherries. You don't, that, I mean, that, that is the prosperity gospel uh, in a nutshell, right? That you know what, name it and claim it. It's a microwave. Like, like uh, Allie, my wife loves, uh, loves, loves uh, popcorn. And so she throws a package of Orville Redenbacher into the, into, the, the, uh, into the microwave and she walks away and it starts popping. And then all of a sudden she has this thing of, of, uh, of popcorn that she loves to eat when we watch movies. We've kind of created a mindset that submission to Christ is like a, is, is a, is a microwave. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heat up a TV dinner. I'm going to make popcorn. Discipleship is not a microwave. Discipleship is a crock pot. Right? Oh, yeah, you know. Y'all make, yeah, make crock pot meals. You know. Did you know, you know crock pot meals take forever? Like, you know, there's no like quickie setting on it. There's no 30 seconds. You have options. It's either... Four, six, eight, or ten hours. You have to plan. And you have to put all the ingredients together. And then you have to let them kind of sit and sort of marinate in their own juices, right? But I've never in my life had a microwave meal that tasted better than a crock pot. Church, when we lay down our hearts, when we submit our hearts willingly to Christ, he takes the experiences of our life, the good, the bad, the exciting things and the regretful things that we have, and he meshes all of those together so that those experiences don't define us, but he in his sovereignty gives us perspective. And in, in time, as we grow in the grace and in the knowledge and the love of Christ, and we submit our hearts to him, we see the story that he's writing in our lives. Look at verses 4 and 5. He says, in verse 5, he says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. He says, don't lean on your own understanding. The big question, church, is we have to ask ourselves is this. Do you trust God when his will divides from what you want? Solomon tells his son, don't lean on your understanding. Lean on God. Lean on God. Lean on what he wants. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, not with part of your heart or whatever part of your heart is convenient on this given day. 
Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. We have so many people that wear, I see it out all the time, especially like around like Valentine's Day, right? These little shirts where it says, follow your heart. It'll never lead you astray. That is awful advice. <laughs> if I followed my heart, I would be in an awful condition today. You're, can I, can I be, just be real honest with you? Your heart is not designed to lead you down the right path. Your heart is designed to lead you to hell. Pastor, that's pretty strong. Yeah! He says, trust in, the Lord with, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And only then, after all of those things are done, your paths become straight. Trusting God completely means leaning on him, leaning into him, into his understanding and laying our will and our understanding down in church Trusting him when there's a fork in the road between what he wants and what you want. And willingly and obediently taking the path that leads to his will. The first process to submit to Christ is submit your heart, but also to submit your, your perspectives. You know, Proverbs isn't, I think I've heard it referred to as a self-help book, Right? You know, something you would find on the, on the shelves of Barnes & Noble. That's not really true because our world wants you to believe that you can fix what ails you, yourself. Solomon, if you read the Proverbs, Solomon spends an inordinate amount of time telling you you're not good enough to fix it. That it involves trusting in Christ. Right? Proverbs 26, 12, uh, Solomon says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So what does it mean to be wise in your, in your own eyes? You think you've got it all figured out. I don't need God's help. I can do this. Right? This is the, the Dr. Phil of the day. Right? They, these self-help people want you to believe that you can do it because it sells books. And there's a reason why self-help books are some of the best-selling books in Barnes & Noble. Because when that book you just read doesn't work, you go back looking for another one. When the scriptures are the ultimate self-help book. But the self-help book, that the, the role that you play in self-help is you lay yourself down and you take on the, the Lordship of Christ. Church, our culture has bought into the lie because their perspective is a fallacy. Solomon says to be wise in your own eyes isn't just like being a fool. It is worse than being a fool. So, so how do we submit our perspectives to coincide with the Lord? Well, first of all, church, is accountability with brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no substitute for small group community within the local church. I'm going I'm, I'm to speak to you a little bit today. And, and if, 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 you're in the, if you're in our church today and, and you're not involved in a life group, I need you to understand why it's critical that you be a part of one. Okay, because even in a church this size... Okay, we run two services, have, you know, 150 people in, in each one, say, you know, roughly. And you've got, and, and it's possible in a room of this many, 
it's possible for you to walk in and disappear. The lights are low, we're singing, you listen to me yell at you for 40 minutes, and, and, then, and then off on, on your way you go and you tell people, I'm part of Fort Caroline Baptist Church. Yes, you walk in and you sit in the room and then you, then you leave. Nobody knows your name. And look, I get it, okay, because I'm a functional introvert. Like you may think, oh man, Patrick's got all this energy. That's not true. It wears me out, okay? Like sometimes, it's, it, can, I, can I just be real with you? It, sometimes it's hard to, to be on. Sometimes it's hard to, to willingly like share stuff with you about my life. And so I understand how easy it is to walk into the room and just hope you disappear and nobody says anything to you. But can I tell you from someone who's been on both sides, you won't understand the benefit of being a part of small group community until you're a part of small group community. And I know that's cheap. Like it's easy for me to say, well, you won't won't understand it until you experience it. You won't. There's a certain level of accountability and I've got people in, in my life who, who have had to speak truth into my life and sat me down and said, what are you thinking? You dummy? In love? But there are people who I have allowed the credibility to speak truth into my life to call me a dummy and know that they don't, they don't hate me. That they're doing it because they love me and it's the hard questions. When my wife, uh, my, when my mother-in-law uh, was diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor, um, she passed in 2017. We had people that were close to us in small group community who rallied around us in different cities, in different states, in our, our local church that we were in at the time. And they rallied around us and they loved on us. We couldn't have walked that road by ourselves. You think you don't need the small group community that the local church provides because you've never experienced it. And look, Matt can help you get plugged into, into a life group here at this church. And look, it, there's, no, there's no obligation. You come be a part of it. Experience it, and you won't want to turn it loose. The accountability and the community that, that comes alongside of being a part of the family of God is one of the fi- primary functions of the local church. As a matter of fact, Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Jesus, Jesus' half-brother, James, would say, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Later, James would say, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, literally, someone walks up who has the credibility to walk up and say, say, I love you, you dummy, you need to come and get right. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of of sins. Church, when we open our lives to one another, when we hold each other accountable, when we live our lives together under the authority of Scripture, our perspectives that Christ has called us to lay down will naturally gravitate to Jesus. You can't have yes men. 
You can't have people, just sycophants, who will come alongside of you and tell you what you want to hear because of some service that you provide for them or something that you can do for them. You need people, church, that are going to come alongside of you and who are going to love you back into accountability so that you're not, a, so that you're not dumber than a fool. So that you're not doing what's right in your own eyes. But they must be people with credibility and, and the ability to speak truth into your life. If you want to be a part of the story that God is writing, the story that others are going to, are going to hear, you've got to submit your heart and you've got to, to submit your perspective. But you also must submit your control. And I know I'm meddling. When I first read this passage, because I'll be honest with you, I haven't read this, this chapter very many times outside of preaching. Um, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 all day long. But the entire passage, it looks like in verse 9 that Solomon begins to chase a rabbit. He's talking about honoring the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your produce, right? Then your barns will be filled with plain. Your vats will be bursting with, uh, with welches, right? And so we, we read all of these things, and, and we, we, think that, we think that he's, that he's chasing rabbits. He's not. When you look at the entire passage as a whole, he spent the last eight verses telling us that we need to let go of the stranglehold that we have on our lives and let God lead us in his sovereignty. When, and look at verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. When inflation rises or when uncertainty hits, our natural inclination is to hoard what we have. Yet Solomon would say in Proverbs 11 and verse 24, one gives freely, don't miss this, this is good. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers one. How, how does that work? My good friend Lanny Norris, would, he played, played football for, uh, for Bear Bryant in Alabama, uh, was a, uh, an insurance salesman in Russellville, Alabama for 40 years, uh, and was one of my deacons at First Baptist when I was pastor. And, and we were talking about generosity and the principles go along with it. And he said something I'll never forget. He said, Patrick, he said, that is nothing more than God's economics. His ways are higher than our ways. Some things that God does is just a mystery. And the fact is, when we give freely, we grow richer. But when we, when we withhold what we should give, it's then that we suffer the want. It's God's economics. My home church, back in early 2000s, took a mission trip to Honduras. I'd like to tell you the story of Joe Tatum and his group. Joe was a dear friend of mine. Joe looked like he was a part of the New York Mafia. He, um, he led a team down to Honduras. and They were going to build shelters. There were families that were living in little mud huts in Honduras. And so Joe was going to take a team of men from First Baptist Middleburg, and they were going to, to go, and they were going to um, build these homes. They were going to build a roof on the top, and then, then they had um, sheets of corrugated tin that they were going to put together and were going to screw into the sides of the, of the, the homes to create sides, right? And so they had enough, enough to build like seven of the homes, enough sheets of tin to build seven homes. And so they go along and each day they were going to build a couple. And so they build a couple and they build a couple and they build a couple. The fourth day they go and they only had, they only had three sheets of tin left. 
only enough to do three sides of the home. And to hear Joe tell the story, I wish I could bring him down from North Carolina where they live now to tell you the story. But, but Joe and their team, they just pray, God, whatever you want us to do with whatever you have left, we will do whatever you want. And so they go in and they build and they build and they, they build the sides and they build the roof trussing and they start to put sides on. And they put, they looked down, they had three sheets of tin. And they would go and get a sheet of tin, they would put a side on the house. And they'd go back, and there were three sheets of tin. And they'd grab another sheet of tin, and they'd put a side on the house. And they'd go back, there's only three sheets of tin. And they'd start on the next house. They only had three sheets of tin. They built three more houses with only three sheets of tin. Now, church, let me tell you what I'm not. If you know me by now, I've been here for several months. I am not the super, like, mystic, spiritual, like, like overly spiritual, like it's the Lord. That's, that, there's a certain level of pragmatism that goes along with this. But, church, the fact is that God's economics is different than ours. They did exceedingly abundantly more than they could ask, think, or imagine when they told God, we will do whatever you want with what we have left. I told you, Joe is, Joe is like a guy straight out of the New York Mafia. He just doesn't show emotion. And I'm listening to Joe tell the story, and he's bawling. Church, when we willingly submit our hearts when we willingly submit our perspectives and we willingly submit our control, the Lord can do amazing things. And if we won't let the Lord have control of our lives, of our families, of our future, we miss out on the blessing of allowing the Lord to write a story that we can use, that he allows us to use to broadcast his goodness to the entire world. Verses 11 and 12, I want to close. He says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves, he chastens, he disciplines him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Church, can I give you just advice from someone who's done it wrong so often? Lean into the Lord when he corrects you. If he takes the time to correct you in your sinfulness, it's not for your pain. It's for your good. It's always for your good. It's always for his glory. The story that God is writing involves your obedience, your submission to his will every moment of your life. And how do we know? Like, how do we know that he loves us? Because he chose to discipline his only son, Jesus, so that you and I could be forgiven. You and I were worthy of our eternal punishment. But Jesus took the nails for you and me so that we might be counted as righteous. It's impossible for us to perfectly submit to God, but Jesus did on our behalf. And if you leave this place today and and, and you try to prove me wrong, go ahead. You'll fail. It's the goods. You'll fail, but he'll still pursue you. Friend, quit running.
Quit running because you think you're not worthy. You're not. Quit running because you think you haven't got your life together and you're going to figure it all out before you come to Jesus. You won't. If you're not a believer in Jesus, come to Jesus today for salvation. He, he sent his son to die so that you wouldn't have to. If you're a believer in the room, can I leave you, can I, can I leave you with this from this series? You're rich. Man, you're rich. And it may not be monetarily, I get it. But spiritually, you have the undying, unquenching love and the unending pursuit of the one who spoke the world into existence. And in you, he is writing an unimaginably unique story just for you that brings him glory and seeks to win the hearts and the minds of all who hear it. And for that reason alone, you're rich. So church, as we leave this place today, let's display to a world that has no idea what spiritual riches look like. The depth of the riches God has shown to us. And let's glorify him with all that we have. Praise God. Father, we love you and we praise you. As we leave this place today, may we go knowing that your word is holy and sovereign. You are righteous, you are holy, and you are good, and you are worthy of our praise. God, if there's someone who has not trusted you as Savior, may they meet him. May they meet you face to face today and willingly submit their lives to your lordship. And Father, for the believers in the room today, may we be mindful that while we may not, while silver and gold have we none, we have riches busting at the seams. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.